Please stand with me as I will read from Acts 28, the first 10 verses this morning. This is the word of God. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out, and because of the heat, and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief men of Israel, a man named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably, hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, And putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. All right, beloved. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Ask for his help to, to learn. Lord God, we come before you in thanks, with deep gratitude, such a privilege we have, Lord, to sit here in this place to learn of you. Teach us, Lord, we pray, and enable me to communicate your truth to these, your people. Bring to life all who are not in Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, we've reached the final chapter of our study of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, This isn't a particular text that you would just parachute into, you know, unless you were um, doing exposition. And that's what we're doing. We're we're given to biblical exposition. We find ourselves in Acts 28. For those of you who may not have been here previously, chapter 27 records Paul's journey on a ship from Caesarea, having been in prison there for two years, um, from there um, to and through this shipwreck on the island of Malta. I'm recording what happened after two weeks adrift on the open sea amidst an unrelenting hurricane, a, a typhoon like storm referred to as a northeaster. In chapter 27, I think it's verse 14. When this storm-tossed ship carrying 276 passengers was broken to pieces by um, the force of waves once it struck a reef and ran aground. You see that in verse 41 of chapter 27. Um, All on board have escaped by swimming or, or clinging to planks or pieces of the ship. 
safely washing ashore to the island we know as Malta, verses 43 and 44. Now, the Apostle Paul, as you are well aware, was no stranger to shipwrecks. When he penned 2 Corinthians, um, two and a half years before this shipwreck, he tells us that he had already been shipwrecked three times. This is number four. And on one occasion, spending a night and a day adrift on the open sea. And you think you have problems. Now, all of you can attest to having a bad day. Can I get a witness? All of you can attest to having a bad week. Bad month? Perhaps a bad year? What about two bad years? Two bad years. Here, Paul has another episode of trauma. Okay, he's already been beaten by the Jews in Jerusalem. He was beaten in the Gentile courts by the Jews, rescued by Roman guards. He's testified before Roman governors, not knowing what to do with this Jew who preaches a resurrected Christ. That's one problem. The other problem is he's a Roman citizen. So we can't lay a mitt on him. What do we do with this Paul? So not knowing what to do, he's left two years in this prison there at Caesarea. He stands trial again before King Agrippa. We looked at that a number of weeks ago. Um, having appear, he, he appeals to Caesar. He's given his wish. So he boards this ship and he's led right into another storm, shipwreck. And through it all, we see a common thread in these latter chapters of Acts, that is, in and through the life of the Apostle Paul, of God's promises being carried out. You will testify me. You will testify of me, Paul, in Rome, as you have in Jerusalem. You will testify. You will testify. I will get you there. That's the promise. But it all comes by way of very unexpected providences. Amen? The providence of God. The mysterious providence of God, but yet all according to the power of God. His will will be done. Now, our subject for today is Paul's ministry, Paul's ministry in Malta, the island of Malta. It comes to us in two parts. First is Paul's experience um, with, with a viper. That's number one. And number two is his experience with Publius's father, the leader of the island. Now, there are some lessons along the way for us that the Holy Spirit um, has intended useful for us. And, and I'll pause as we work our way through and see some of these applicable points. So let's begin. There's the introduction, verse one. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta, a word that means refuge or escape. Here they are. They, they land on the island of refuge. They're, they, they're on the shore of escape, meaning of the word. There's Malta. Originally, it was named Malta by Phoenician sailors who had long ago 
landed there long before Paul. Verse 2, the natives showed extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled the fire and received us all. So the, the, the natives here, it may be translated in your Bible as barbarians, or you'll at least see a, a footnote there. It comes from the word barbarous. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't have the meaning of barbarian like, like we think of in our day. It just simply means from a, from a Greco-Roman perspective, these were uncultured people. So anyone who did not speak Greek, the Greeks viewed them and their language is sounding like bar, 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 bar. A barbarous people. That's all that means. So here then, these Phoenician-tongued people show um, extraordinary Beyond normal kindness. Very unusual. Why? Because when you land on someone's island, you are at their mercy. You are at their mercy, and in human nature is such that it considers, how can we exploit the situation? Amen? Typically, how can we take the circumstances before us and use it for our benefit? That's typical, but here we see extraordinary kindness, and then Luke explains what they did as a sign of this kindness, and notice that they kindled the fire and received us all. They, 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 they kindled a fire. This would be a, a large fire. So here then, these Maltese natives welcome 276 cold, exhausted men, caring now for their immediate needs. You know, God frequently throughout Scripture recognizes kindness in Scripture, even the kindness that comes from pagans. You remember what he said to Abraham? He called Abraham is back in Genesis 12, and God says, Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation, many nations, and through him the world shall be blessed. And then the Lord goes on to say this, Abraham, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, God's people. So here it's early or, or mid-November on the island of Malta. It's cold. It, it's raining. These are soaking wet men exposed to gale winds, and these natives come out and prepare for them a fire. You remember your home, remember homecoming in school? Remember those bonfires? That's what this would be. This is no little campfire. How do you warm 276 men with a big fire? A big fire. And then something dramatic happens when, verse 3, Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Let's pause for a moment here and consider the apostle Paul. Think about all that he had done. Okay, they, they were two weeks at sea in a storm. He, he led the charge. Everything he did for that crew, the captain, the prisoners, the soldiers, once they land on shore, he could have easily commanded the closest seat to the fire. Not Paul. He could have easily expected those who were saved to wait on him, but not Paul. 
Paul was never one just to sit around. Never a man to sit around and expect to be waited on. No task is too small for the servant of God. Amen? No task is too small for the servant of God who has the mind of Christ. That's Paul. It's been well said. It is only the little man. It is only the little man who refuses to do the little task. All throughout the account. On board and here on shore, Paul is a man of God who is a man of action. He is a man of faith and a man who, because of faith, does works. Not to earn anything, but because everything's been earned for him in Christ. This is a man who has combined spirituality with sanity. You know, some people who claim to be so spiritual, they got their head in the clouds half the time. And they don't do anything. So Paul, a spiritual man, is sane, theologically minded, has a lot of common sense. Remember, he reasoned with the crew and the captain before they set sail at this time of, of, of the year. You don't sail on the Mediterranean between October and February. You just don't do that. And remember, he said, guys, I don't think it's wise to sail this time of year. Just common sense, wisdom discernment, and he's a servant, a man of God who joined faith with action because faith without works is what? Dead. Paul, the apostle Paul, capital A, servant of God. So while he's serving, notice, placing a bundle of sticks on the fire, um, unusual providence once again strikes, literally, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. So because of the cold, right, this thing is torpid and it's, it's lethargic and it, maybe it looked like a stick. So he grabs it and in the heat invigorates this creature. However we understand this, it strikes out and it grabs the apostle Paul by the hand. Verse 4. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man, he's a murderer. And thought, or I'm sorry, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. File that statement in your mind. Justice has not allowed him to to live. So as quick as these natives display unusual kindness, they're, they're just as quick here to make sense out of these events, making use of their pagan presuppositions. Okay, knowing nothing about Paul, other than that he was an apparent prisoner. Remember, the ship was filled with numerous prisons, prisoners on their way to Rome. So they jump to the conclusion, oh, he's a murderer. And by the way, that's emphatic. Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. Not perhaps he's a murderer, but in fact. So think about it, being steeped in, in Greek mythology, there was a Greek tale that taught that although a criminal may escape the tremors of the sea, they eventually will receive justice. 
Sooner or later, verse 4, sooner or later, because the Greek goddess of retribution will get him. That was the goddess named Nemesis. Nemesis, whose job it was to bring justice upon people where other attempts to bring justice had failed. Nemesis will get her man. Nemesis finally met up with Paul. You know, a nemesis, our nemesis, someone who constantly gives us trouble. Someone who's constantly a pain in the neck. We refer to as our nemesis. So here this goddess, in their mind, has, has caught up with this, this murderer, so they think. It's typical of superstitious people, isn't it? It's very typical when, you, when they see others going through misfortune, they automatically assume they are paying for their wrong deeds. Now, that may be true, amen? That may be true. Even for God's people, for God chastens those he loves. But that's not always the case. Remember, Jesus' own disciples had this problem when they came across a man who was born blind. And in John chapter 9, seeing a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You remember that? So thinking that they had this all worked out and they just needed um, a little bit of divine revelation from Jesus, their master, to understand God's purpose in this blind man sitting and begging, Jesus explained, your presupposition is wrong, boys. Do you remember that? For he went on to say, it was not that this man sinned or his parents now, he doesn't say, that doesn't mean they weren't sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? What he means is that the man's blindness is not the cause of their sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus went on to do a miracle that was foretold in Isaiah that only Messiah would do. Glorious. Amen? Now, one thing that is obvious about suffering, beloved, is that we all share in it. We all share in suffering. We live on a curse-ridden world, and we suffer along with non-Christians. The world is corrupt. This present world, said the Apostle Paul, groans and what? Travails with birth pangs, waiting for the regeneration of all things. That is a new heaven and a new earth birth pangs, groaning. So we live in a sin-cursed world. This is not paradise, not yet. This is not your best life now. And as has been said, if this is your best life now, then you're going to hell. Word. Don't listen to those nonsensical fools. You know what I'm talking about. Don't waste your time. Listen to men who preach the whole counsel of God. So don't be surprised if, if common, common adversity afflicts you as it does the whole of mankind, because it will. You know, tornadoes and hurricanes and typhoons like this, cancers and so on, do not seek out who's Christian and who's not, right? Many times our suffering is God-ordained in order to bear witness to unbelievers around us. And I don't even like studying to preach on suffering. 
because I always feel like the Lord's preparing me for something, and I hate to suffer. <laughs> I just hate it. Who doesn't? But it's true. But I st- you can't dance around the text, you know? Anyway. But moving on, it's also true that common grace covers believers and unbelievers alike. Amen? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5.45? For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's referred to as common grace. Shown to the world. We, We read some of it in the psalm this morning. Okay, moving on, verse five. However, he, Paul, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Can you imagine these people? They're they're like this. (laughs) That thing's poisonous. And we've seen what happens when people get bit by vipers like this. So they're just waiting for him to swell up and to keel over. And they wait. And they wait. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to to say, he's not a murderer, he's a god. So this superstitious mob, in a matter of minutes, changed their minds from no doubt he's a murderer to no doubt he's a god. From one false premise to another. When he didn't keel over, they flipped the script. He's a god. You know, that says a lot about human nature, doesn't it? Beware of man's opinion. A friend of mine works in the entertainment industry in Hollywood, and he says, everyone knows in Hollywood, when your career is over, you're the last one to know. They raise you up and they tear you down. Beware. A seasoned saint once told me when I entered the ministry, be careful not to believe all your press clippings, be they positive or negative, because there always will be flatterers around you. Remember, flattery is saying something positive to your face that they would never say about you behind your back. Oh, you're the greatest. And then they'll stab you in the back. And then there are those who have daggers for pastors, daggers for, for, for preachers, And they have that problem wherever they go. You ever notice these people, whatever church they go to, they always have a problem with leadership. You know why? They take their problem with them. They're the problem. So the irony here is that neither opinion of the people was true. Both views were false. But that's that's pagan theology. It's very subjective. It's very subjective, incredibly fickle. And that's why we must stay rooted in the word of God, the whole counsel of God. Now, behind all of this is some very powerful imagery. And I prayed about it this morning. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And we read how Christ will come and crush the head of the serpent. And Paul here, in many respects, takes on the life of Christ. I must show him how many things he must Suffer for my name's sake. For my name's sake. So here Paul takes on the life of Christ and the one who came and crushed the head of the serpent here simply shakes the serpent off. Isn't it a beautiful picture? 
Do you love the Bible? This is a picture, beloved, and a reminder for all of us who are in Christ that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We're more than conquerors through Christ, Romans 8, 37. In, in, in Romans chapter 16, there's that great benediction that goes like this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I think that'll be our benediction today. That's the first event. Okay, second event, verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place, where he was bitten by a viper, were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously. Three days. So here you have the chief man of the island, was the ruler, evidently, of this land, and he treated the apostle, and you remember Luke is with him, and some other brothers are with him, and treated them courteously. He takes care of them. He shows extraordinary hospitality while they're on this island. Now, pagans show hospitality. That does not mean they're believers, amen? You know, kindness does not mean Christian. You know, I learned long ago when I meet a stranger and they're incredibly kind, or we'll call them nice people, he's such a nice guy. She's so nice. Nice doesn't equal Christian. Christ doesn't equal Christian. So I learned long ago not to ask when someone's kind, hey, are you a Christian? Because it's happened to me, they say, no, I'm just a nice person. Thinking that being nice or being kind will also get you to heaven. After all, I'm a good person, right? So I don't even ask that. I just come in the back door with, if you die today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? <laughs> you have to be wise. Because if you ask someone, you know, are, are you a Christian because they're so kind and they say, no, but we're just on the same page, aren't we, brother? True? No, it's not true. We're not on the same page. Niceness and kindness doesn't equal Christianity. So he, here, even within this pagan culture, not exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's something in many, in many, who will react like this. It's, a, again, a product of God's common grace. Something of the image of God remains in all individuals, be they Christian or not. Amen. All human beings are made in the image of God, and sometimes, according to the common grace of God, according to conscience, Romans chapter 2, leads many people to do kind things in time of need. And we like that. That's a good thing, amen. I wish all of culture was like that. Common grace. And here, Paul and his companions, companions who are at the mercy of these pagans, we see God's common grace on display. Where, where again, marks of the image of God remain on fallen humanity. It's beautiful. So in many, in many times, you know, God works in the midst of unbelievers for the sake of his own people. And that's what we see here. The Apostle Paul being shown kindness. Now, 
hospitality that is shown by these pagans, though that they understand perhaps the big picture of, of good and bad, evil and kindness and so on, again, it goes without saying that doesn't mean they're saved people. There's a danger here. Because these Maltese people in our day could function quite well within the walls of the visible church. And it's a very dangerous thing. Okay, and it's this. When you understand the overarching principle of right and wrong, of being kind, of being a nice gal, of being a nice guy, and you know, you build a fire for someone, you do good things, and yet it's possible to never taste the grace of God. To never taste the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So you think now that your good works will justify you, but God says your good works are nothing but what? Filthy used rags. But for grace, you remain condemned. So people, nice people, good people in the church can sit here week in and week out fooled into thinking they're, they're going to get to heaven because they're a good person. They've never tasted the grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone that saves. So they don't have ears to hear because they're so good, because they're so kind. That's the danger. That's the danger. Now, if these pagans show such hospitality, what does that mean for us who are Christians? What does that mean for those of us who have received the, the grace of God in Christ. Because, friends, to be shown the grace of God in Christ and for it to transform your life, that's a supernatural work of God. You can't do that. Only God can do that. So here, we have received this grace. And Paul goes on and he writes in Romans 12, verse 13, he instructs believers to show hospitality to the saints to show hospitality, to seek hospitality, to seek to show hospitality, that is. Not just for someone who's shipwrecked, but seek to show it to one another. Pursue it. Do we pursue it? That's an applicable point. Do we run in and run out of church and that's it? Don't feel guilty if you leave after church. I'm not saying that, but is this all there is? Is this all there is to your communion with the saints? to seeking fellowship and, and, and seeking to show hospitality. This isn't something that's done reluctantly. It's not something that should be done by force, but we are to seek to show hospitality, Paul says. Here are these pagans show it. It's on display. Beautiful picture. Moving on, verse 8. And it happened that the father of, of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. Okay, so remember, Dr. Luke is with Paul, so no doubt Dr. Luke diagnosed the sickness here, and Paul, by the power of God, heals the man. Now, this is a recurring illness, and um, history tells us in my studies that this was caused by a bacterium that was common in goat's milk on the island. It was, carried, it was common in goats carried through their milk, and it created multi-fever. 
Malta fever. So the acute phase, you'd become desperately ill, you'd recover, and then six months later, it would recur again. So this is what this man has, this recurring um, disease. He's healed. He's healed, and also notice, um, others on the island which had diseases came, and they were healed. So God, again, is establishing the credibility of his minister, of his apostle, Paul. Okay, and by the way, there are no more apostles today, okay? These are, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, signs of what? An apostle, an apostle. The apostles are in heaven. So here he's performing signs and wonders, signs of an apostle that were upon him. And by the time their stay was over on Malta, which consisted of three months, we see that in verse 11. He heals many people. And then these Maltese people show their appreciation and, and send them off with everything they needed. See, on ships in this day, and they They'll, they'll get back aboard an Alexandrian grain ship headed for Italy. You had to bring your own supplies for the most part. They didn't have buffets on these things, like these cruise ships. You ever been on one of these things? They feed you till you're fat. It's just food, 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 food. This is a grain ship. And, and here are these people. Notice verse 10. They also honored us with many mar marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. Beautiful. Demonstrating, once again, what a positive Christian witness can do to a pagan people. Love it. So here then, God's promise that Paul would go to Rome was dis disrupted by God's providence a shipwreck, during the shipwreck, God promised through an angel, that is, during the storm, that the entire crew would be spared. Do you remember that? Chapter 27? An angel promised, so long as everyone stays on board, so long as no one tries to escape, everyone will live. And here, providentially, once again, he, he arrives on shore and he's bitten by a snake, amazing, amazing the population of the island. That he didn't keel over dead. Again, God's providence is at work. Friends, we mustn't forget God is at work all the time. He's at work in your life, but I'm suffering, I'm struggling. I know, and he knows. He is at work. And the way he is at work is most often beyond our understanding, far beyond my understanding. And I don't like to suffer. He's at work. His providence is being carried out. God has a sovereign will. It's carried out providentially, circumstantially, in and through our lives. His will will be done. And many times it's beyond our understanding, but that's okay. We remind one another of these things. Now, although Luke says nothing in this account about evangelism on the island, um, we can be certain, beloved, that Paul, over the course of three months... Fair to say, fair to say, the Apostle Paul, over the course of three months, preached the gospel, declared the gospel to anyone who would listen, right? His miraculous deliverance from the sea. The cause, he would point to God. His miraculous deliverance from the bite of this viper, he would point to God. His ability to heal these sicknesses, he would point to God. The last thing Paul ever wanted to do was to share the stage with Almighty God. 
Amen? The last thing he would want to do. Do you remember in Acts 14? Remember they do this miracle? And the people, what do they do? They, this is near Galatia. The people come before him and they said, the gods have come down to us from heaven. And they start to worship and bow down. And, and Paul said this, men, men, stop it. We also are men just like you. We have a nature like you, and we bring you good news, the gospel. We can be sure he did it here. Now, that most likely being the case, Malta, over the course of these three months, highlights for us unexpected kindness in two directions. In two directions, we see unexpected kindness as radically different people were thrust together by human need all according to God's sovereignty. And as Dennis Johnson comments, quote, when Christians greatly receive, gratefully receive the extraordinary hospitality of unbelievers, we may have opportunity to invite them into the extraordinary hospitality of God who welcomes all sorts of people to his banquet. Where there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and is all and in all, Colossians 3.11, he cites, end quote. So consider, while there is something to be said about the extraordinary hospitality shown to Paul and his companions um, through these pagans, um, that fact, again, marks the image of God in every individual. It still remains with humanity. They show kind acts, even though they're pagans, even though they're not of the household of faith, we can see that God will do this by way of his common grace. But what they will not understand, but by the supernatural work of God, is the grace of God. Are you with me? They will not understand, but by the grace of God. Therefore, we must preach the gospel. You can be certain that's what Paul did. Therefore, Paul, in explaining the gospel the reason for the deliverance from sea, the reason from his deliverance from the bite of the viper, the reason uh, of the power that is behind his healing hands of Publius and many others who came, he would have explained to them, to them something they did not understand, and that is grace. And that is grace. And in those striking words of verse 4, look at verse 4. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Those are words from the mouths of pagans that provides one of the best summaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of scripture. Justice has not allowed him to live. See, justice, these pagans understood. Grace, they would not have understood. They understand justice. They see the man's been bitten by a viper. He must be a murderer. And justice has not allowed him to live. Friends, when Christ went to the cross, it was God's justice that would not allow him to live. Why? Because as Isaiah the prophet said, it pleased the father to crush him. It pleased the father to bruise him. 
Genesis 3.15. The head of the serpent would be crushed, but he would be bruised. It pleased the father to crush his son. Justice was laid upon him, granting you grace, unmerited favor of God, to justify you by grace alone. They understood justice. Justice has not allowed him to live. Those are some of the most precious words that we can say to ourselves to remind us, beloved, that the grace of God in the gospel declares you justified because justice would not allow the Son of God to live, and he was crushed. Therefore, All of his righteousness is placed upon your account, validated by way of his resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul would have preached. He would have preached the gospel. We get it? So if you're here today not trusting in this Lord, maybe you're one of these Maltese-like people. Well, I'm a good person. You're not good enough. God requires perfection of you to get to heaven. And the fact that you're going to die proves that you're not perfect because the consequence of sin is what? Death. You've earned your wage. You will die. You need grace. You need grace. You need unmerited favor. You need the righteousness that is foreign from us. There's not enough righteousness in you. There is no righteousness within you. You need the imputed righteousness of this one, the one whom justice has not allowed him to live, Jesus the Christ, son of the living God. So if you're here today, not trusting in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we invite you, if indeed it be the will of God, if indeed the working of the Holy Spirit is here uh, working on you, drawing you, receive the gospel of grace and you too shall be saved. That's not a suggestion, that's a command. Repent and believe. And if he's working in your life, you too shall be saved, justified before God, coming to realize that justice did not allow him to live, and you too shall be set free. So if God is is working in you and has enabled you and allowed you to recognize your condemned status, come to Christ by faith, repent, which means to turn around, change your thinking, Well, I say God is like this. No, he's not. He's like this, and you too shall be saved because justice did not allow him to live. Come, and you too will have life. Father, we thank you for the gospel through and through. Thank you for the ministry of Paul. Thank you for divine revelation. Lord, may your Holy Spirit minister to the souls of your saints here today. And may you bring to life um, any who may be here outside of the faith. Today would be the day of their salvation. Anyone listening in the future online that you might use this to bring them to faith as well. We pray it for Christ's glory in Christ's name. Amen.